You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. First Timothy chapter 4, this letter was written by Paul for the purpose of instructing. And not only that, but Paul also stops on several occasions during this letter and gives warnings. He gives warnings concerning false teachers. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 5. This is the very word of God. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's look to him uh, for guidance today. Father, we come to you and we just pray that your word would speak to us today, that your word would cut like a knife, that your word would convict, that your word would uh, just guide us back if we've veered at all in the past couple of days or weeks or months or years from the truth. We just pray, God, um, that you would speak to us. And I pray that if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that they would not leave this place without knowing you. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last summer, um, uh, our house uh, on the backyard needed some work uh, to come up to code on a couple of things. And so uh, we searched the internet. Uh, We asked friends of anyone who knew a contractor that could do the work that we needed to be done. Um, So I went to Facebook and uh, a friend of my wife's uh, su- suggested this one guy. And so we called him up. He came out. He looked at the work that needed to be done in the back, uh, in the back and uh, he said he could do it. And then he started to notice some other things, some like uh, missing mortar between the bricks and our windows are, uh, were like 25, 30 years old, as old as the house. And so he said, I, I, uh, I can get you windows at a good deal. Um, I can help you out and all of this stuff. So we were excited about it. Um, uh, we gave him uh, a couple thousand dollars up front uh, for the materials that he needed to buy, and then uh, we waited for the work to start, and it never did. A couple weeks went by, and we said, are you going to start the work? Well, I'm waiting for the windows to come in. I'm waiting for them to come in, and they didn't come in, Um, and then we're like, when are they going to come in? Well, they, they came in, so I'll get to work, and it was one excuse after another, but at least two months passed, and there was no work done. Finally, we kind of got upset with it, and we're just like, we don't want you to do the work. We just want our money back. He said, well, it's going to take a little bit to get the money back, to get it back into my account, and then I'll get it back to you. And we're like, that's fine. Uh, Two weeks passed, and there was no money uh, given back to us. Um, And so we said, we need the money, or we're going to take legal action. He said, I'll get you the money on Monday. Monday came and went and we did not get the money back we called him up and he said i'll get it to you this monday that monday came and went and we still did not get our money back we threatened him and we told him we said if you don't give us 
our money back, we are going to go to social media. We're going to go to the news about you because he was a contractor in the area. And he didn't seem to care about that until we actually did go to social media. And then he called up my wife and was angry and threatened to sue her. And she said, go ahead. We don't care. Um, he continued, we continued to play this little game back and forth with him. We started to look into his past and we discovered um, that we were never going to get our money back because he had several, several civil suits against him of people who he had scammed out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. We were at least 20 people down the line to get our money back and we knew that we would never get it back. And so we decided to go the criminal route with him. And the reason that we decided to do that was not because of any malice in our hearts. My wife, the entire time, continued to witness to this guy. If you know my wife, you know uh, that that's what she does. And she called him to repentance over and over again because she was concerned about his soul. But he was undeterred. And so we found it, we, we took it on as our mission to get him off the streets, so to speak, to warn others about him so that he could not deceive them. Because the people he was deceiving, by and large, were elderly people. And we read some of the reports that he had scammed um, some people in their 90s out of thousands of dollars. And we realized that this guy had zero conscience whatsoever. And because of all that, we felt that he needed to be stopped. Well, six months after we our story was aired on the news. He was arrested and put in jail. He's been since released, but he's out on bond and he's awaiting trial. Once again, we take no pleasure in that. But this man was willing to steal from people. He was willing to destroy their futures to satisfy his own selfish desires. And because of that, we felt he needed to be stopped. And the reason I bring that up is because Satan does this every single day. Satan is a real being. He is a lying, a lion prowling about, seeking someone to devour. The Bible calls him a liar and the father of lies. The Bible says that Satan has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Satan has been doing this for thousands of years. He is really, really good at what he does. He has developed his craft. He has perfected his craft. And since Satan hates God and hates anything associated with God, Satan's strongest attacks are on the church of God, the church that Jesus Christ purchased with his very own blood. And that's what this passage is about today. I wish that I had a happier message for you today. But the truth of the matter is that this is the reality. Truth is truth and reality is reality. And the reality is this, that there is deception in the world, that there is this cosmic battle between good and evil. And the ultimate, ultimately, souls are hanging in the balance, if you will. And so we must, must get this right. We need to be aware of deception that's in the world for two reasons. First of all, so that you don't get sucked in and deceived. And secondly, so that those around you that you love <clears throat> don't get sucked in and deceived. These deceptions, as we've been talking about all along, are really bad because they're done in the name of Jesus. They got a big fat Jesus label slapped on them, but it's not an authentic label. 
It's not the real deal. And these people have no, their consciences are seared. They can use the name of Jesus as long as it will bring them in money or followers. I used to watch a show called Pawn Stars where um, they would, uh, a camera crew would follow uh, the, the life uh, of this pawn shop and people would bring in these artifacts from all over the United States and the world from all eras of time. I mean some 2,000, 3,000 or more years old and they would bring them in and they would be trying to sell them and they would say, hey, where did you get it? Hey, I got it from this guy for this amount of money. I'm looking to sell it for a little bit more. Um, and then they're like, well, how do you know it was, it's real? And it's like, well, because the guy who sold it to me said that uh, it is real. And then they would bring in their experts. And sometimes what would happen, sadly, is that the expert would look at it and then say, I hate to tell you this, but this is a forgery. This is not authentic. And here's why it's not authentic. And you could see their faces drop because they were duped, right? Sometimes out of hundreds or thousands of dollars. And what I want to say is it's, it's serious when you lose money, but it's infinitely more serious when you lose your soul. And souls are at stake here. And here in this passage, Paul is writing to his dear friend Timothy, warning him of a coming apostasy. And he says this, that the Holy Spirit of God expressly says, which means listen to what I'm about to say, that in the later times, some will depart from the faith. Well, what are the later times? Well, if you look at the New Testament, the later times are anywhere from the time of Jesus' first coming to the time of Jesus' second coming. We are in the latter times, just as Paul was in the latter times as well. The Holy Spirit predicted that even as the gospel was expanding, Satan would be coming right alongside of it, pulling people away. And followers, suppose followers of Jesus would fall away. Now, I want to be careful here. And I want to say that this does not imply that someone could be a true follower of Jesus and then fall away and not be, and then be damned forever. The rest of the Bible is clear that this cannot happen, that someone who is a true follower of Jesus will remain a true follower of Jesus because the Holy Spirit of God is holding on to them. The Father is holding on to them. The, uh, the Son is holding on to them. These people that fall away would fall into the class of people that Jesus talks about in his parable in Matthew 13 about the, sow, the seed that is sown on various types of ground. And there's two types of ground. There's the rocky ground and there's the thorny ground. That the, the seed falls and the, the plant grows up immediately and it looks like it has life, but it's got no root in it. And so the sun comes out and it burns it or the thorns come up and they choke it out, thus proving that they were never really in the faith. They looked like they were. They looked like they were a part of the people of God. But in the end, they were not. If that's not clear enough, 1 John 2, 19 makes it a little bit more clear. When the Apostle John says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. Why? For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are, they all are not of us. They're not all of us. I know that they appeared to be. They were in the church. They were using the same lingo that we use. But in the end, they were not really of us. 
people in this passage that we're looking at in first timothy fell away because they were deceived and jesus made it clear that his followers could never ultimately be deceived in the end it doesn't mean that we can't be deceived from day to day but ultimately we will not be deceived in such a way that we fall away in fact in matthew 24 24 jesus said this for false christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray if possible even the elect if possible which means that it's actually not possible but their deception will be so clever so deceptive that if possible they could lead astray the very people of god so these people in our text that are departing from the faith were never true followers of jesus once again part of the christian community yes uh, talked about jesus yes we're even part of the visible church yes but then departed why do they depart they departed according to the text because they started to devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons the long-awaited messiah jesus by the time paul is writing this had come on the scene about 30 years ago he began to teach about the kingdom of heaven he lived the whole time the perfect life that you and i could not live fulfilling god's perfect standard and then he died on a cross and paid for the sins paid for the fact that you and i could not and never could fulfill that perfect standard that god requires jesus did it and then jesus was punished for every sin that we committed after his death he rose again from the dead he ascended into heaven and he sent his holy spirit to empower and to guide us as his followers the church if you look at the book of acts the church started in a wonderful powerful way with thousands of people coming to christ thousands of lives being transformed but as the apostles were moving out in the power of the holy spirit satan was working behind the scenes empowering his followers the demons were active in others contradicting the teachings of the apostles sometimes just flat out contradicting what peter and paul are saying is absolutely false it's absolutely not true sometimes doing that but more often than not just making seemingly slight altercations to their teaching oh peter didn't tell you about this this is important too or they said this but that's not as important as they're making it and just made slight alterations here and there just getting off the path more and more slowly distorting the truth until it was completely unrecognizable think about this uh, imagine yourself in a bright green room okay i mean just bright green and you're standing in there and then you walk from that room into the adjoining room and the room is still bright green but you don't notice it's a little bit more blue it's got just a slight tinge of blue in it but it's imperceptible to your eye and then you go into the next room and it's the same thing and then the next room and the next room and you go through 50 rooms and you come to the end the last room and someone hands you a piece of paper that shows you the color of the original room that you're in and you're amazed at how bright green that first room was and then you realize that the room that you're in right now is not green at all it's completely blue what happened you didn't know notice the changes the slight changes 
And this is exactly what Satan does. Satan can get people to make big leaps away from God, but more often than not, he works very, very slowly. Very, very slowly. And he's, because it's less noticeable, and that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to be less noticeable. In fact, the Bible calls him an angel of light, right? He, he comes as an angel of light. Satan doesn't come, you've heard this before, with a pitchfork and sharp teeth and horns. No, he comes as an angel of light. He appears to be on God's team, right? He's using the church lingo, right? He's using the name of Jesus. He uses the Bible, but he twists it. And he does this all the time. And he does this in religions, in Christian religions as well. Now, you know that when I talk about other faiths, I try to do it in a very sensitive way. I never do it in a derogatory way. I, I, I don't do it in public, and I work hard not to do it in, even in the privacy of my own home because I know that we're all sinners. Um, but I, I was thinking about a couple of, of, of uh, organizations that have departed, some slowly and some drastically, from the faith. I was thinking about even the Roman Catholic Church. Um, if you were to talk to someone who knows Roman Catholic dogma, what you would see is you could ask them questions. Do you believe that your sins are forgiven? They would say yes. Do you believe, have you received Jesus? And they would say yes. Is the Holy Spirit living within you? And they would say yes to all of those things. But when you started to ask about what their terminology, what they mean by that, is what you would see is it's vastly different than what we believe in this church. Their sins were forgiven when they were baptized as an infant. That original sin was taken away. So that they stood justified before God at that point as a, whatever, a six-week-old, six-month-old child. Their sins were forgiven. And then as they sinned, as life went on, they were forgiven as they went to confession or did penance or whatever it may be. Well, what about receiving Jesus? Well, we say, well, we receive Jesus by faith when we, when we ask him to come into our lives. And they would say, well, every time I go to Mass, I'm ingesting Jesus. I'm, I'm taking Jesus in. Jesus, the, the bread and the wine actually become the body and blood of Jesus. I'm taking him in. I'm receiving him. Well, what about the Holy Spirit? We believe that the Holy Spirit comes upon us when we are converted, when we believe in Jesus. And they would say, oh, yes, I received the Holy Spirit at confirmation after I went through classes and received my first Mass. Differences. Same terminology, but differences. And those differences make all the difference in the world. Because in the end, what they can do is they can end up giving people a false sense of security. As long as you do these things, as long as you do what the church says, as long as you uh, um, follow what we're doing and give and, and stuff like this, then you will be okay. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Now, I'm not saying for a moment that anyone who is in the Roman Catholic Church is not saved. I have met many, many people who are Roman Catholics who I would say, yes, they are saved. They love Jesus. There's a, some practices in their church that they don't agree with, but they stay in there for whatever reason uh, they may have, but they love Jesus. So I'm not saying, man, all Catholics, none of them are, are Christians. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that the Catholic Church, by and large, has departed from the foundational truths of the gospel. They have given in, they have devoted themselves, the leaders in the past have devoted themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And it grieves me because I have many family members who are stuck in that 
type of religious system, that moralistic system that you will be okay in the end as long as you do this. Well, they're not the only ones. There are many examples. I just want to give you a few. There was a young teenage boy who was leaning towards Methodism. Uh, Both of his parents um, and his grandparents claimed to have visions and dreams from God. And at the age of 15, he actually had a vision um, of God. And while he was praying, God and Jesus Christ appeared to him and told him this. Young man, your sins are forgiven. That's a great message, right? Your sins are forgiven. And then uh, God and Jesus went on to say that all contemporary churches have turned aside from the gospel. This young man's name was Joseph Smith, who became the founder of Mormonism. And if you've ever talked to a Mormon, you would realize very quickly that they use the exact same terminology that we use. Every Mormon would confess that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Savior of the world. But what, but what they mean by that and what we see the Bible says about that are, vast, are two vastly different things. I don't know if you're familiar with a, a man by the name of Glenn Beck. Um, he is a uh, very political guy. Um, and he is a devout Mormon. And I knew where he was coming from, but I was listening to uh, one of his radio shows one day, and he was talking about his religion. And I would tell you, if I did not know where he was coming from, I would have staked my life on the fact that he was a true follower of Jesus, just like I was. He used all the same terminology. There was nothing that I could find fault with what he said. But I knew how he defined the terms that he was saying and how the Bible defined those same terms. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, had devoted himself to deceitful spirits in the teachings of demons, and he went off course and developed a cult which leads many people away from Jesus. In 1821, there was a young girl who was born into a religious Protestant family. She had many health problems, and because of that, she started to uh, be intrigued by this man um, by the name of Phineas Quimby. Um, who had some very interesting um, uh, healing methods that he employed. And so she, wanting to understand a little bit more, started to talk with him. And uh, Quimby was a, what's known as a mesmerist or a hypnotist. And uh, he taught that disease um, was a result, was caused by false beliefs. Diseases were caused by false beliefs. And so this young woman began to explore these methods. She bought into them, and then she eventually wrote a book entitled Science and Health with Keys to the Scriptures. This woman was Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian Science. Notice the name, Christian Science. And if you look at Christian Science, you would realize that it is neither Christian nor science. But yet they use the name, which means a follower of Christ. Mary Baker Eddy devoted herself to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. One more in 1869, there's a young man born into a Baptist family in Missouri by the name of Joseph Rutherford. In 1894, he purchased the first three volumes of a man by the name of Charles Taze Russell's um, Bible study series. Rutherford was impressed by Russell and his teaching and his devotion uh, to what he believed. Later on, um, 
Rutherford was baptized at the, uh, 12 years later, and he and his wife began Bible studies in the church as well. On January 6, 1917, Rutherford was elected president of the Watchtower Society and actually became the official founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Rutherford had departed from the Christian faith because he devoted himself to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Now, I mentioned this short list of people, and there are many more, because all came from Christian or very religious backgrounds, but were deceived and paid attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And although the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses and others are still active today, deceiving thousands and thousands of people, those in the Christian community can usually recognize them and recognize them as a cult and avoid them. But there is a new sophisticated deceitful spirit that is in the church today that is working very, very cleverly to deceive people. Deceives people in new ways. And there are many different ways that this is, that this is being done. One of the most prominent that I believe is in what is known as the prosperity gospel movement. We've talked about it before. I'm not going to go into all of it right now. But the prosperity gospel movement is closely associated with the word of faith movement, which claims that we can make anything happen that we want to happen simply by believing it will happen and then speaking it into existence. Speaking it into existence. I have a friend who I went to high school with. And he pastors a fairly large church of several hundred. He believes and teaches this. And we've had many, many debates about it. The pastor of the largest church in America, the largest church in America, believes and teaches this stuff as well. In fact, he wrote a book entitled The Power of I Am. And you think, my mind, as soon as I read that title, I'm thinking, the great I am, right? When Moses was talking, you know, when God was talking with Moses and he said, who do I say sent me? And God says, tell him I am, the great I am. But that's not what this author is talking about. The I am that he is talking about is the power of positive confession here. So what you say is this, if you feel like you're getting old and your body doesn't work like it used to, you simply, you don't say, man, I'm getting old. You say, I am getting younger. If you're starting to lose your hair, you say, I am keeping all of my hair. It's the power of positive confession because what you confess with your mouth becomes your reality. So if you come up to me and you say, how are you feeling? I'm like, I'm a little bit sick today. What I've done is I've cursed myself and I'm not going to get better. Because that's what I'm, I'm confessing that, and that becomes my reality. The diagnosis is cancer, and so all you need to say is, I am cancer-free. And it will actually become a reality for you. Sadly, it's also, this teaching is also in Galveston. I know people who teach this all the time. The thinking goes like this. Since God has creative power in his words, then we as his children also have creative power in our words. What did God do? He said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. 
If I'm one of his children, then I have the same power to do that. I have that creative power with my words. Well, a major influence in this movement was the same man who influenced Mary Baker Eddy, Phineas Quimby. That power of positive confession. And I bring these people up simply to point out that their deception is very, very powerful. You listen to these people and you're like, okay, what do they do? They use the Bible. They use the Bible. They're not like, ah, throw the Bible out. This is what I believe. No, they're like, here's what the Bible says. They use the same terminology that we use, but they take the Bible out of context and they lead people into false beliefs about who God is and who they are, which ultimately leads people away from God and into eternal damnation. And the one behind all of this is Satan himself. Satan and his demons, who once again appear as angels of light. Angels of light, using biblical terminology, but twisting it for the purpose of deceiving. Peter's words in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, really go along with what Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy 4. Here's what Peter says. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. Secretly. Not overtly, but secretly, under the table, under the radar, if you will. And I believe that this is evident in our text when Paul says this, these false teachers <coughs> forbid marriage and require abstinence from, abstinences from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving. Now, if you look at that, you would think that not getting married or not eating certain foods seem like small things. Is that really that big of a deal? And what I would say is yes, depending on your purpose for not doing those things. Okay? Because if unchecked, what happens is that they become gateways into legalism. They become gateways into, uh, into people believing that they have a super spirituality because I have not gotten married, therefore I am superior. I've devoted myself only to God. I don't eat certain things. I have a, a level of spirituality that is superior to yours. I am more in tune with God. Oh, you still do that. Oh, you still do that. I don't do that anymore. I have a level of superiority, special favor with God because I've denied my flesh certain desires. Here's the problem, is that these desires that they have denied themselves were never commanded by God at all. In fact, God said, I've given you everything to enjoy as food. I've given you a marriage to enjoy. And these people thinking that they're rising to a different level of spirituality say, oh, no, no, no. This is what truly spiritual people do. So it becomes a legalistic practice. But as silly as it may seem, people get sucked into this because the person pushing, the people pushing these things are very, very convincing. 
By the time I got into seminary in 1998, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, all right? Um, I, I mean, I grew up in a, in a, in a church where I, um, man, very fundamentalist beliefs, and I was a Pharisee. I, I looked down on others. I actually remember walking out of a place where people were talking about their sin, and I just said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I mean, that's what I said. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And when I got into seminary, the very first classes I had, every day it was these huge doses of grace, huge doses of grace. And it absolutely transformed the way that I thought about God, actually transformed the way that I taught. And around that same time, I started to work as a, a, a youth leader in a, in a Baptist church. And I got to lead this one young man to Christ. And it was awesome. We spent hours and hours together. We would go to Jack in the Box and eat Jumbo Jacks and drink Mountain Dew, and we would just talk about God. And he would ask me questions, and I would answer the questions, and I was pouring into him grace, 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 grace. And then eventually I had to leave that church, and I went to another church, and I, I, I met up with this young man several years later. And I said, oh my goodness, it's so good to see you. I'm not doing anything. Why don't we head over to Jack in the Box, get a Jumbo Jack and some Mountain Dew? He said, I, I, I can't do that. I'm like, why? You know? And if he would have said to me, you know, I'm trying to eat healthier and that's just not healthy, I would have been like, I got gotcha. you. I, I, I see you. I've put on a few pounds. I agree with you. But that's not what he said. He said, I can't, I don't drink, I, I don't ingest caffeine anymore because it's wrong. I said, who told you that it was wrong? And then he started to tell me about the new youth pastor at the church who I knew, and I knew him to be an even worse Pharisee than I was. And I burned with anger. I burned with anger, not towards my young, eager disciple, but I burned towards anger, at, with anger towards this supposed man of God who I saw as undoing everything that I had done. Because I'm going to tell you what, if you're a recovering Pharisee, you see it in anyone and you want to dissuade them from that whatsoever. I've often said this, I would have rather come out of a life of drugs and, and, and sexual promiscuity than to come out of a life of legalism. Because it's so deceptive and it makes you feel good about yourself. And it makes you look down on others. And so I was angry and thinking, my young disciple has been deceived. His mentor now is forbidding certain things that God created to be enjoyed. And I was angry. Well, I stand before you today and my biggest purpose is to warn you, to warn you that there are false teachers out there and they are propagating their teachings. And these people are nice. They're smart and they're very persuasive. But their teachings will lead you away from God. Part of my job as a shepherd is to protect you from these false teachers, to give you the truth. I love the ability 
um, uh, to talk with people. I love when people ask me questions and we can sit down um, and discuss theological issues, things that they're struggling with, interpretations of what does the Bible mean when it talks about this. But I, as one person, cannot be with you all the time. I cannot uh, always monitor what, who you're listening to on the radio. You know, or podcasts or whatever it may be. I, 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 I can't monitor what books you're reading or how you are, how those books are influencing you, what you're thinking about those books, how you're processing them. So I urge you to be aware of false teachers. They are everywhere and they are very, very clever. And be aware and be prepared when you encounter them. Well, how, how are you to be prepared? Well, the first thing is that you need to know what they look or they sound like. You need to know what they sound like, what they're saying. Jesus in John chapter 10, talking about the, the, uh, sh uh, how the sheep followed their shepherd's voice, says this in verses 4 and 5. Uh, when, he had, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And what I want to say to you is this. Know the voice of your shepherd, Jesus. Know his voice. Be familiar of, with his voice speaking in the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit. Be attentive to that. Listen to what he says. Study what he says in his word so that when false teachers come against you and say, this is what Jesus said, you can say, nope, I'm not so sure that that's what he said. What, what, what will happen as the Holy Spirit is operating in you is that you will have a check in your spirit. And what I would say is this, when you get that check, when you get that uncomfortable feeling, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Pull away from the conversation. Take some time to think through what you just were taught by this person and then seek out trusted people to ask questions and seek out the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Also, don't assume that just because a person teaching this stuff is smarter or more articulate than you, that they're correct. Search it out for yourself, asking the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. I urge you to spend much time in the Word of God. You need to ingest this book. You need to read it. You need to study it. Because there is, whether you realize it or not, there's a spiritual warfare going on right now. Satan and his demons are saying, eh, it's not as bad as he is saying it is. Ah, don't worry about this. No, he was dead wrong here. There's a spiritual warfare going on right now. And you need to know the word of God. And I would even go so far as to say this. I am sitting up here teaching you right now. Don't take every word that I say without checking it out yourself. You have these people in the Bible called the Bereans, right? Where the official representatives of Jesus Christ were teaching them. And what did they say? Okay, we're going to go home and see if that's actually what the scriptures say. And that's what I would encourage you to do today as well. Don't just take my word for it. You need to go up and say, this is what Jason said. This is what Jason said. This is what Jason said. Does this measure up? Does this line up with the word of God? And if it doesn't, then you throw it to the side and you come and you talk to me and you say, this is what you said. I don't know if this is actually the truth. 
In addition to this, what I would encourage you to do is be aware of the different issues that are popping up in the Christian, in Christian circles. There's a lot of junk out there, once again, that is done in the name of Jesus that is not from Jesus. Be aware of these things. If there's some controversy surrounding it, ask, why is there controversy surrounding it? Go to someone and say, what is, what's the issue here? Why do we have a problem with this? And get the answers that you need. Our desire is that everyone in this church would be a theologian. That everyone will be studying the Word of God. We know that there's different intellectual abilities in this church. But we believe that everyone has the ability to discern between truth and falsehood. Everyone who is a Christian, because the Holy Spirit of God is living and operating in you. And we do this for the purity of the gospel, so that the truth of the gospel is preserved. Because once again, if we veer off just a little bit here, and a little bit here, and a little bit here, 10, 20 years down the road, the Christian faith is not going to be recognizable. And the truths that we once preached will no longer be those truths and will no longer have any power to save people whatsoever. So I would encourage you to be diligent. Pray for this church. Pray for the people in this church. Pray for this island that we would not be deceived, that we would not devote ourselves, that we would give no place at the table, so to speak, for people who would teach deceitful things or the doctrines of demons. Too much is at stake, and it's all of our responsibility to guard the truth that's been entrusted to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that we would tremble at it. Pray that we would not take it lightly, that we would not say, oh, this won't happen here, or this won't happen to me, but that we would be diligent to study the truths of your word, to be very, very discerning when we see falsehood popping up, Lord, something that would lead people away from you. So, Lord, I just pray that we, that you would protect your church. We know that you will because you love your church. And we pray that many more people would come into your church as your true followers. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.